Welcome to Thoughtfully Mindless. My guest in this episode is Josh Greenberg. On January 26, 2011, Josh and Sandra Greenberg's daughter, Ellen, was found dead in her apartment by her fiancé with 20 stab wounds. Her death was originally ruled a homicide by the assistant medical examiner of Philadelphia, but it was eventually changed to suicide after a closed-door meeting with the chief medical examiner, district attorney, and several police officers. For 13 years, Josh and Sandra have been trying to get the designation of suicide changed to homicide so that Ellen's death could be properly investigated. It seems like the city of Philadelphia and the state of Pennsylvania have been doing everything they can to prevent justice from being served and prevent Ellen's death from being properly investigated. I thank Josh for taking the time to interview with me today, and I hope they're able to get justice one day. With that, let's welcome Josh. Josh, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. So, this is a very difficult subject to talk about, but your daughter... Okay, I'll put the ground rules out. Okay, yeah. There is no problem discussing this. We both feel the fact that we are doing something for our daughter and for those who are involved in the same type of case like this, who are against the... uh, the rules that they presently face with the government that we're helping. So we feel very good about what we're doing. Yeah. This is our mission. This is our purpose. We, I will, I will discuss anything I can, except the only thing I can't talk about is anything that would involve with liability. Understood completely. So you, well, there's no subject that I will not touch. And if I have a problem ex- escaping the question, don't worry, I'll escape it. Okay, perfect. Uh, I'm going to assume people listening don't understand or don't know all the details of the case. So I want to lay out a couple details and then we'll dive in deeper. So let me know if I get anything wrong. Ellen was killed on January 26, 2011. Right. 20 stab wounds, uh, multiple stab wounds to the back of the head and neck, multiple stab wounds to the chest and abdominal area and the last stab wound was a, a plunge of the knife into her chest. We're, that's what we feel it is, yes. Her fiancé at the time, Sam Goldberg, says that he left for the gym in their apartment complex at 4.45 p.m. And he returned between 7.15 and 7.30 p.m. Or, sorry, 5.15 and 5.30 p.m. And the door was locked, and he sent a series of text messages to Ellen's phone. And eventually, after maybe 30 to 45 minutes, I don't remember the exact time, but he forced his way into the apartment, at which point he says he found her body. And upon finding her body, he said he called 911 after it was a minute, 30 to two minutes into the 911 conversation. He was told to perform CPR on her and he laid her or in the phone call. He says he laid her body down to perform CPR, at which point in the call. Is he claims to have discovered the knife plunged into her chest and in that phone call and i i think i want to add that phone call into the interview if that's possible 
in that phone call, he claims, oh my God, she stabbed herself. And uh, then he kind of backs up on that and says, or she fell on the knife or something like that. I just, I just walked to my apartment. My fiance is on the floor with blood everywhere. What is the address? Forty-six zero one Flat Rock Road. Please come help 46 now. Forty-six zero one Flat Rock Road. Is this a house or apartment? Oh, oh no! Oh no! It's an apartment. It's an apartment. What apartment number? <laughs> Please hurry, Where please. She's bleeding from. She, I don't know. I can't tell. She's. No. So you have to calm yourself down in order to get you some help. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She. Okay. I don't know. I, I'm looking at her right now. She. I don't. I can't see anything. She didn't. There's nothing broken. She's bleeding. Ellie. You don't know where she's bleeding from, can you? Ellie, where blood's coming from? It's, I think her head. I think she hit her head, I think. I think but it's all everywhere. Okay, so it's she, everywhere. She might have fallen. Do you know yeah. what happened? She, she, she may have slept there's blood on the on the table. Her, her face is a little purple. Okay, hold on for rescue for her. Stay on the phone. Department 842, what's the address? No, uh, 4601 Flat Rock Road, please hurry. 4601 Flat Rock? Yes. What's wrong? My, my, I just, my, I went downstairs to go work out. I came back up, the door was latched. My fiance's inside, she wasn't, she wasn't answering, so after about a half hour, I decided to break it down. I see her now, just on the floor, with blood, she's not, she's not responding. Okay, is she breathing? She, I, Look at her chest. I need you to calm down, and I need you to look at her chest. It's really. I don't think she. I really don't think she is. Listen to me. Someone's on the way. Look at her chest. Is she flat on her back? <laughs> She's on her back. So okay, I her... Look at her chest and tell me if it's going up and down, up and down. I don't see her moving. Okay. Do you know how to do CPR? I don't. Okay. I can tell you what to do. Okay. Until they get there, I want you to keep her. Oh God. Hello. Yeah, hi, okay. Are you willing to do CPR with me over the phone so they can I, get I, I have to, right? Okay, so get her flat on her back, bare her chest, okay? You want to rip her shirt off. Okay, you kneel down by her side. Oh, my God. Allie, please. Listen, listen, you can't freak out, sir, because you Okay, I'm trying not to. I'm trying not to. Her shirt won't come off. It's a zipper. Rip oh, my off. God, she stabbed herself. Where? She fell in a knife. Oh, no, her knife's sticking out. Her uh, what? There's a knife sticking out of her heart. Oh, she stabbed herself? I, I guess so. I don't know where she fell on it. I don't know. Okay, well, don't touch it. Okay, so, so I'm just, I just let her down. Here now? I mean, what do I do? No, I mean, you can't. If the knife is in her chest, it's going to be kind of hard for you to do CPR at this time. Oh, no. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Police, which operator? 277. Is All someone right, coming here? Yes, they are. You said 4601 Flat Rock, right? Yes. Okay, someone's on the way, and the knife is still inside? Which or what? The knife is still inside of her? Yes, I didn't take it out. Is it her chest or what area? It's, it's in her chest. Like, it looks like it's, it looks like it's right in her heart. Okay, someone's on the way out there, okay? Just get oh, my God, oh, my God. How okay. old is she? She's 27. 27, and there's no sign of life at all? No, 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 please don't be. What? Been turned to her arm and tell me she responds to pain. She's. Ellie! Then the police come and. 
from the get-go, it seems like the police actively prevented a legitimate uh, investigation going on into this case. So the medical examiner eventually investigates the body, investigates Ellen's body, and determines that it was a homicide. Correct. Later on, there's a meeting between the medical, the chief medical examiner, because it was the assistant medical examiner that right. uh, conducted the autopsy, and uh, the district attorney of Philadelphia, and various police officers, and various police officers, and they. There is no record of this. No written record of this meeting. And at that point, the assistant medical examiner changes the ruling of her death to a homicide. Correct. Or to a suicide, sorry. To a suicide, excuse me, correct. <sighs> Did I miss anything in there? I, I know there's more details. Well, let's go back. I'm going to go back a little bit. And yeah. We believe that Mr. Goldberg spent a, a large amount of time outside that apartment calling Ellen to open the door. He also made calls to several other people, relatives, and he has a relative who's an attorney, uh, Schwartzman, uh, and other people, we also think. We're not even sure that he did the call to 911 in the apartment. We might we sense we do think maybe it was possibly done outside the apartment. His tone during those calls changed from they were never okay, I'm gonna say make this is an opinion. The calls were never supportive. There was always get me in there, what's going on, what are you doing? You'll pay for this, things like that. The ver the the verbiage of those calls was never really supportive of my my loved one, how are you okay? What's happening? <clears throat> tell me what's going on finally he supposedly he gets inside the apartment and he did this alone he did ask somebody to accompany him to the apartment but nobody accompanied him up to the sixth floor apartment so when he did come in there he was alone okay ellen had a knife in her chest with a handle about five six inches sticking out of it during the discussion at the preliminary discussion with the 911 calls he never remarked that he saw this handle there. The 911 operator suggested and instructed him to do CPR, to which he answered, do I have to? Upon trying to open Ellen's uh, sweater or whatever, he says he found a knife in her chest, that she stabbed herself or whatever. He never did administer CPR. Uh, there are other things that are going on that we don't believe he really did anything or tried to do anything to save her. There's certain evidence that the body was probably moved and the situation was staged. There was a streak of blood going from Ellen's nose to her like ear, which meant that the blood flow flowed horizontally. Blood doesn't flow horizontally. Everything in this world is attached to gravity. So if there was blood coming out of either her nose or ear, it should have gone vertical. So she was probably lying with her head up and lying back when that um, blood flow occurred. Um, the medical examiner called it a homicide initially. Months later, at a meeting which has no record and no evidence, so we can't find anything, it was changed to a suicide. We have no idea why. Uh, we have evidence from our own experts who reviewed the case, reviewed the body, reviewed photographs that they got from the medical examiner. Henry Lee, a top uh, forensic pathologist, 
who investigated many cases, you probably heard his name. He felt the case was the the area was a, a stage suicide. Uh, I forget the name of the fellow from Pennsylvania, Wecht. Wecht, that's it, Cyril Wecht. He said, when we, he, our, our trail on this thing started out with a letter and a $5,000 check to Mr. Weck, Dr. Weck, that he said it was very suspicious of a homicide. A lot of these things have to do with protecting yourself legally, because you're in the legal world here. Mr. Weck was, Dr. Weck was eventually contacted by one of us, and he was shocked that we never got back to him. Unfortunately, when I received that letter and my wife received the letter, we didn't care for the fact it was suspicious of homicide. It's either homicide or it's not homicide. But that's not what he wrote, suspicious of homicide. So we never called him back until many months later. That was the start of our investigation into this death of my daughter, which we believe was a homicide. I believe it was too. Well, thank you. We also did some other things. For instance, if you go through the records, you'll find a computer-generated uh, I don't know what you, uh, uh, computer generated person similar to Ellen showing all the stab wounds. And if you look at that, you're, you're going to be appalled at how many stab wounds that she suffered. It was very hard to imagine that this woman or any person went through so many stab wounds before finally plunging a knife into her heart. We also had, um, um, what to call it when we, when you review, we reviewed the witnesses to this thing, the assistant medical examiner said that if he knew what he knew now, he would have called it a, a suspicious of homicide or a homicide. He never changed it. Uh, also, the medical examiner's always hired another medical examiner, a woman by the name of, um, do you have her name handy? Uh, I don't know. No, okay. Well, she was a medical, and she said that Ellen's wounds were post-mortal, mortal meaning that she had wounds that were delivered to her after she was already dead. She said that under oath in front of a TV camera taping her and an audio recording her. Um, impossible. You can't do that. If you're dead, you're not going to stab yourself more. But she said these wounds were post-mortem. Uh, so that means that somebody else may have stabbed her. We are now looking into the knife that was in Ellen's chest. Supposedly, it might have fingerprints on it that will reveal something on the case. Or if it doesn't, it doesn't. But supposedly, the fingerprints should be preserved for this amount of time, even though it's 13 years. And if the, the fingerprints were not Ellen's, then she didn't stab herself. If the fingerprints were Ellen's and somebody else's, it just shows the knife was handled by Ellen and somebody else, which also is suspicious of this was not a, a suicide. Some of the wounds are in directions that are almost impossible unless you're a contortionist to, to apply. There was, other, there was also, also other bruising on her body, which the medical examiner mentioned, which was consistent of abuse. I personally feel that's a very significant thing because I think that may be, have something to do with what, why Ellen is not with us anymore. But the medical examiner, the police, they never did anything to investigate the abuse. They merely spoke to the reporter for the Philadelphia Inquirer and said, wasn't she a yoga instructor or Pilates, Pilates instructor, which she was not, which is really crazy because if you have abuse injuries 
wounds, um, abuse uh, wounds or uh, uh, whatever you want to call it, wounds, they don't look like abuse from yoga, which doesn't cause abuse, or Pilates. We have been looking into this for over 13 years. The last, most recent thing is our, we were, uh, the city of Philadelphia has done everything, including, in my opinion, lying and not giving us things that they should have. And then they come up with them a year later or more. The most recent judgment by a three judge panel was that this, we had no standing to take this to court. I'm her father. My wife is her mother. But then, in the 30 pages that followed that, there was a 32-page document. They said, we have every right to find out what really happened to our daughter. They just said, we can't do it. They also said the last sentence, first paragraph, the medical examiner, the police, and the district attorney did a sloppy, fraudy, fraudulent investigation. And then they have 30 pages of other documents, some from experts we have, which using their evidence to show what could have happened, as in, uh, Dr. Ross, who's a local um, forensic pathologist in the area in, in Pennsylvania, and he has a whole list of about 30 or 40 things that they actually published in their opinion to talk about what could have happened to Ellen, none of which would be a suicide. Other things have happened that, that are extraordinary. Three months after Ellen's case was closed as a suicide, our investigator, Tom Brennan, was talking to a forensic uh, pathologist in Florida by the name of Jan Johnson, who said, you're, Tom, you're from Harrisburg, aren't you? Yes, he said. Well, I'm reviewing this case, which I just got the photos of, and this is not a suicide, this is a homicide. Somebody in the police department took, took the photos that were in the evidence file and sent them to Jan Johnson. She has not revealed to us who the person in the police department sent her the photos. So that's where we are. We tried to take it to court, and when we took it to court at a pre-trial hearing between the lawyers, the lawyers for the city were told to negotiate with the Greenbergs, you're not gonna win. They offered me that I would, that when they have it, when the medical examiner, the new medical examiner, the whole medical examiner staff is gone, the new medical examiner has a chance, she will review the case. And we agree not to sue or do anything which is appalling. I mean, I can't, I can't believe they even said that to me. I mean, I don't know who they think I am. They must think I'm some sort of moron, but I'm not a moron. We have been fighting this case for 13 years. Right now, medical examiners walk on water. They can, they can be challenged, but they don't have to ever change anything or say anything. Their final, Their conclusion is final cannot be misinterpreted or changed. If we get a change in court, they're gonna say the judge made me change it. I don't agree with that. That's what they're gonna say. Of course, we do have the, um, what's, what's it called? The, the dispositions where Dr. Osborne said that he would change it now, but he didn't do anything. The case is fraught with things that don't make sense. After four and a half years, the attorney general, who's now the governor, said the case might have been, um, he might have a, a, a problem because he might know somebody involved in the case. So right before the election for him to become governor, he trained, tra trained, turned the case back to Philadelphia, 
And Philadelphia cannot review the case because the lawyer, the district attorney in Philadelphia was our lawyer when we started this. So he, they sent it to Chester County where the case is now lingering. They have had many months to come up with something, but they haven't. I don't believe they have much evidence from the attorney general's office because I don't believe, number one, there was much, and I'm not sure if they're cooperating. Before, the last press release that they were going to do, which the, I'm talking about the attorney general's office and the uh, assistant attorney general, was he was going to send out a press release saying that he could tell that Ellen was suicidal the day she committed suicide. The man has no training experience in ascertaining if someone is suicidal. Even if I was to write down a letter to you right now, Marty, saying that I'm going to commit suicide, that doesn't mean I commit suicide. Yeah. I wrote a letter. That's all you got. So Ellen has never... The, the FBI reviewed her computer and found no evidence that Ellen ever looked up suicidal things. She did look up if she was going to get fat on the drugs because Ellen was suffering from anxiety. Not depression, anxiety. Anxiety is when you're driving on the turnpike and a truck pulls you in and you're like cornered. You're anxious, but you're not suicidal. Yeah. Um, Ellen's computers were also taken from the apartment by a family member, which who we, don't, we can't figure out how and why. They also took her, her cell phone, her car keys, and various other personal IT, internet, uh, IT things, and they didn't return it to us for months. They did return it to police, but not to us. Yeah. So there's a lot here that doesn't make sense. It's unfortunate if this brings somebody else's family into this, in my opinion, but my daughter did not commit suicide. I agree. I, after looking at everything, and I want to direct listeners, I'm not an investigative reporter, um, but I have found two pretty good centralized uh, caches of documents. One is by Gavin Fish, so you can go to gavinfish.com. You can go to his cases and go to Ellen's case, and you can. He has a substantial amount of publicly available information there, including court documents, autopsy photos, and the uh, the 3D animations uh, or the 3D images showing exactly how the wounds, how deep the stabs went and everything like that it's how deep they were what direction and where they were one of the stab wounds was to the back of the neck and it went deep inside of her skull and for i, I think uh ellen was five foot seven not not a power lifter or anything like that for her to have the kind of leverage it would take to make that stab into her skull is Pretty unimaginable. That's the, one of the wounds that Dr. Emery, the, the medical examiner, who I forgot his name, said was post-mortem. Mm. Yeah. She also had a deep gash on the top of her head. Yeah. How did she get that? If you're committing suicide, you do that too? You put a deep gash in the forehead? Yeah. And uh, people who commit suicide, well, first, to go, we're going to touch on everything you, you went through. Um, you touch on something really important. People who are suicidal, even if she was suicidal, which I don't believe she was, um, and her psychiatrist uh, 
testified or, or gave statements to that fact too, that she was not suicidal. She never mentioned anything about self-harm. Um, even if somebody is suicidal, that does not mean that a death for that person is automatically a suicide. People who are suicidal can still be murdered. So can still be what can still be murdered. Right. The medical examiner used the information Ellen's fiance gave to the police to substantiate his ruling of suicide, which does not make sense to me at all. When you're conducting an autopsy, you rely on the physical evidence in front of you, not on testimony or statements made by other individuals who you don't know if they're giving you the truth or not. Artie, may I? Yeah. Our judicial system is two levels, specifically. The police gather the evidence and give it to the medical examiner. The biological evidence is up to the, <coughs> excuse me, the medical examiner and not up to the police. Yeah. So the fact that that meeting that they had months later, <coughs> the police convinced the medical examiner that this was a suicide is very bogus. Yeah. That never should happen. They don't know anything about biology, the police. They know about rocks and bullets and knives. Yeah. They don't know science. And I'm not disparaging their intelligence. I'm just saying that's the way it's supposed to work. So the fact that the police actually got the medical examiner to change everything is very suspicious. I agree. Yeah, it, the two should not influence each other. The medical examiner should look at the physical evidence in front of him and decide what he thinks, and then the police decide what they think, and then the DA should take that and decide if there is a case, a case. and then it goes from there. For the police to influence the medical examiner's decision makes absolutely no sense. And Well, it's not the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, exactly. That's why we have a system set up that way, because it's a better system that way. With, it seems like the police actively inhibited any investigation from actually happening. Uh, hopefully, they preserved some evidence that can be used later if, when the, this case gets reexamined. Here's an interesting part. There are sun, what's called sunshine laws in the United States and for each state. Number one. All sunshine laws, almost all, do not allow police investigations to the records to become the property or the scrutiny of anybody involved in the case. Number two, this was a suicide. Suicide, supposedly a suicide, excuse me. Suicide in Pennsylvania is not a crime. So it's no crime. Yeah. So the police investigation of a crime is bogus. Number three, there's no investigation. The case is closed. What I'm getting to is we would like the evidence the police collected to review that and what we have. Now, if this ever went to trial, they would also get our evidence. And we're not going to withhold it. We've never withheld our evidence from anybody. I'm just saying the city of Philadelphia has fought us tooth and nail and has only recently 
that we have been allowed access to police records. Our experts have allowed police records. We can't take them, but we can send them to review them, and that's where we are now. And it's taken 13 years to get that evidence so we can see what's going on. Does that include Sam Goldberg's statements to the police? I can't answer. I'm not an attorney, so I can't answer that question. Because my understanding is no one's, at least at the time of your last court ruling in November, no one had been given access to that. They had denied access to that. Well, yeah, we, we were the only ones who would want access. Yeah. And we're probably the only ones that would have rights to the access, I'd imagine. I don't know. But I imagine whatever the police records, which uh, there, there was a time, you'll like this one, where the police allowed my wife and I to look at the records. Now, I'm a periodontist. If you want to come in my office and look at my records of patients' periodontal treatment, et cetera, et cetera, you'll, you'll well be my guest because you're not going to know what you're looking at. So we're there without the ability or the uh, advantage of copying anything, taking photographs of anything, or doing anything, or bringing an expert with us, looking at the boxes of records. What's the point? So we did, and we talked about it, and blah, blah, blah. But we, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't know. I'm not an, first of all, I'm not even an attorney. And second of all, I'm not a policeman. When, uh, when police come upon a potential crime scene, one of the most important things that they're supposed to do is preserve the crime scene or potential crime scene. And that did not happen in this case. In fact, they sent a professional cleanup crew to clean up the apartment before they had the warrant to actually conduct the search. Okay, the police did a preliminary investigation, let's say, hypothetically, or actually the EMS people. The manager of the building, uh, I forget her name offhand, called the police and said, this, 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 this uh, apartment is a mess. Call um, this company that specializes in sterilizing the thing. They came, they were paid, I don't know by whom, but that we believe they were paid privately. And the manager, I forgot her name again, took pictures of the apartment before the cleanup crew. And also, I believe the cleanup crews in that type of situation are supposed to take pictures. The police took the cell phone with the pictures from the manager and can't find them. Hmm. The cleanup crew did nothing to take pictures of the apartment before. So in this case, the apartment was cleaned up. The investigation happened two or three days later. And I almost think it's humorous that the police had to get a, a search warrant to come back to the apartment. You're absolutely right. There was no taping of the uh, area. There was nothing. In fact, when the Ellen's computer was, was taken by the family relative and her other personal things, they left a very expensive engagement ring on the bedroom table. They didn't take the, the engagement ring, which we don't understand. All they took were her personal um, computer-generated things and returned it a couple of days later. The engagement ring is interesting, and there's no known reason why it, why it was on the table, but they were already engaged. They weren't about to get engaged. They were already engaged. So. If okay, um, let's talk a little bit about that. Ellen, something had happened. We don't know what. We have no experience with this. Ellen had been asking to come home. 
I was concerned. I had uh, an illness that time and had some surgery. I was interested in, number one, preserving Ellen's teaching job, which at the time was a very hard thing to get. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want her to walk away from it. So I, rel- I made a deal with Ellen. If she went to a psychi- psychiatrist, Ellen Berman, we chose for her, and worked with her, and she said, you could come home, you could come home. Ellen never came home. The only other thing she ever did is she spoke to a personal friend about moving out of the apartment and into this friend's house. And when the friend asked if that meant the fiancé was going to come also, Ellen didn't answer the question. She just turned away, Mm. which is something I didn't hear about or learn about for almost 11 years. Because to me, that would be a very significant thing. Why do you want to move out? Or why do you want to come home and you don't want to come home with your fiancé? The, the issue here is, is, the, is the medical examiners walk on water. They, their conclusion cannot be challenged. Because yeah. Ellen Greenberg is not the only one that has had a medical, inver- medical examiner's conclusion that may not be correct. Yeah. Medical examiners are only people. That's a, that's a very significant point of failure in our justice system. If one person yes. gets to decide if a case moves forward in the direction it needs to go. For one person... Because people can be corrupted. People can be influenced in a bad way. And for that one point of failure to exist and not to have any recourse to to overturn that or, or to get a second professional opinion, is it's just insane that that's the way things are. With the laptop, my understanding is James Schwartzman came in and took Ellen's laptop prior Correct. to the police being able to take it eventually eventually the police got the laptop from james schwartzman now i understand james schwartzman is a judge in pennsylvania but he has no connection to any investigation in this sense so he had as far as i can tell he had no business taking that laptop and that he is a judge in a court that has no investigative properties in this type of affair yeah he's a judge in a court that tries or reviews ethical practices by attorneys yeah that laptop was eventually the police in philadelphia supposedly found search results leading up to the weeks and this is what they're claiming the fbi does not substantiate this claim So the Philadelphia police have a list of search results that supposedly came from the laptop, but the chain of custody was broken in that. So that evidence, if there is any evidence, is worthless because we don't, like the last person to have that laptop was not Ellen, right? Correct. Number one, I'm under the impression, maybe I'm wrong, that the FBI found nothing on there. The only thing that was found on there actually was somebody working for my lawyer at the time. And if you, let's say you look up my name on the computer, not only will you find who I am, but you'll find hundreds of other information or cases, maybe even showing that I'm a sex crime or somebody like that down the road. And that's what they found. Because we also looked at the computer and had professionals look at who are ready to testify. And they believe these were ghost, what's called ghost searches that came up. Mm. And Ellen was really looking to see if she was going to get fat. 
on the medications. Hmm. Interesting. What I find really concerning is, so Josh Shapiro was the attorney general in 2019 and he released, he had decided to substantiate the, the ruling of suicide by the assistant medical examiner. And I found an email that he wrote to Stephanie Farr of the Inquirer in Philadelphia. And he says, among the evidence are the search results. And he uses that to substantiate his claim of suicide. But Josh Shapiro had to have known at that time that the chain of custody on that laptop was broken. So those search results that were being claimed weren't worth the damn, really. When the computers went to the attorney general, our investigators spoke to the U.S. attorney. And his comment was, how are they going to do an investigation? They don't have anything. To, they don't have the, the capability to do an investigation on a murder trial. I'm talking about the attorney general's office. We don't believe or have never had any evidence shown to us by his office that they did. They never even called the psychiatrist in Philadelphia to get her opinion. They did nothing, is our opinion. They have no evidence. They they didn't they do anything forensic. They didn't do anything any which way or upside down or inside out. They did nothing. I want to, if you don't mind, I want to read this email. It came from the Attorney General's office on March 8th, 2019 to uh, Stephanie Farr. So this person is speaking for Attorney General at the time, Josh Shapiro. Following the initial 2011 investigation carried out by the Philadelphia Police Department, our office received this case in 2018 on a conflict referral from the Philadelphia District Attorney's Office. We conducted our own thorough investigation to determine a manner of death, interviewing the Chief Medical Examiner of Philadelphia and the medical examiner who performed the autopsy, meeting the family's representatives, and reviewing information they provided to our attorneys, among other steps. Among the additional evidence we received, we reviewed were web searches for, quote, methods of committing suicide, quick death, and depression done on Miss Greenberg's personal computer in the weeks before her death, and text messages between Miss Greenberg's, Miss Greenberg and a family member on the day of her death showing the decedent in serious mental distress. Our office has concluded that this evidence supports suicide as the manner of death. Accordingly, we have communicated our findings to the family through its representatives and have closed this investigation. So the only additional piece of evidence, the only evidence that he actually mentions in this email are these web searches on a computer that they know the chain of custody was broken. And chain of custody is paramount in investigations. So to my mind, and I'm not a police officer, I'm not an attorney, but to my mind, that is a serious ethical breach on the part of the attorney general. Okay. Our, my investigator, Mr. former Detective Brennan, a former attorney general by the name of Walter Cohn, had a meeting with the representatives 
from the Attorney General's office in 2018. At that meeting, they said, we have just copied the hard drive and cloned it. And we have found all these things you talked about. This was 2018, right? Yeah. Brennan probably, and before this meeting was started, Cohen told Brennan he can say whatever he wants. And I have utter respect for Brennan. He's a street cop, and he's going to talk to you like a street cop if you have anything. So Brennan very politely said, how did you clone the computer to get this information? This is 2018. The computer has been locked up since 2015. Their answer was the one you just gave me, which was silence. Then he asked them, since you did that, can I have a copy of your report? The answer was the same one you, they gave before. There is so much things that don't make sense. It's just absurd. Yeah. They never gave us anything of what they found, anything. And we've given them lots of things that we found, evidence, watch, which all they do is they tear that apart, but they don't produce any of their own evidence. Forensic, uh, any type of evidence. I'm just, I can't think of different, different adverbs to describe different types of evidence. They don't do anything. At one point, Josh Shapiro, while he was attorney general, I think this was in 2019, he claimed that the evidence that you guys have been uncovering has been withheld from his office. Baloney. Why would I withhold it? Yeah. It doesn't do any good sitting in my pocket. Yeah. I want the everything. I want every look. I'm sorry, party. I got a little excited here. I want everything out in the open. Yeah. I want the truth. I want justice for my daughter. This is all about justice for Ellen, that Ellen did not commit suicide. Justice for Ellen. That's even the title of uh, what the website, whatever the site's on Facebook. This is all about justice. This is all about the truth. So why would I withhold it? I have nothing to gain. Yeah. And if I if I if I can show them I have enough evidence, maybe they'll they'll, they'll change their their song and start working with me instead of against me. No, this is this is I'm, I'm not withholding anything. I told you what happened. We gave him things, and all they did is they tried to tear it apart that it was baloney. And they never gave us anything. And as I said, the attorney, the attorney, the local attorney general for the for the country in the area, U.S. Attorney General, said, "How are they going to do a murder investigation? They don't have the wherewithal. Who are they going to hire?" It's interesting that Josh Shapiro sent the case back to Philadelphia because. If I'm not mistaken, if he's attorney general, all the district attorneys ultimately report to him. And if you have a conflict of interest, the last place you're going to send something to be impartial, it's to somebody that's underneath you. You need to send the case to a special prosecutor, somebody who is not tied to your office at all. Wouldn't that make more sense? Uh, we would. That's what. Okay. What have we been after? We have been after getting the, the, the medical examiners changing it to undecided or homicide, number one. That way we've asked we'd get a, an impartial investigative team led by an impartial investigator and get the truth out. They're not interested in the truth. Yeah. 
it makes no sense what they they didn't do anything. He did this like the night before the uh, the election. He said there may have been a conflict of interest. It took him four and a half years to see that. Four and a half years. He's a good smoothie, but he's not telling the truth, in my opinion. And I have to be careful what I say. If you don't mind me asking, how old are you, Josh? 74. You're 74, so this started, you started digging into this when you were 61. Right. They're trying to run down the clock. I think that's plainly obvious. They're hoping I'll run out of money or I'll die. Yeah. Do you feel that you'll get justice in your lifetime? Yes. We are now going to, our case has gone from the, I don't know what the name of the court that said we had no standing. We are now going to the Supreme Court in Pennsylvania, which Philadelphia is also going to. I think this is a great country. I think this is a country which is honest and upstanding and fair and everything that it's supposed to be. It's a democracy. I can't see how, let's put it this way. Everybody believes me, but they don't believe the officials. When you go and look at podcasts, when you go look at things online, when you go look at uh, the um, Facebook website on Ellen, it's all, no one believes them. And I think it's a terrible thing that nobody believes they're, they're elected officials. Yeah. It's horrible. I don't know where we're going as a country. I worry about it. I, I worry about it too. And I think everybody knows that there's corruption at different levels of government and, and politics and stuff like that. But I think this, this whole situation is so blatant and real. I mean, it's a very real situation and it's so blatant to anyone that starts digging into this it, it just appears purely corrupt what's what's re what's really disgusting is how many levels of the government this goes through in this in the commonwealth of pennsylvania from police district attorneys medical examiner attorney general who knows i mean it's, it's all in there when gavin fish and gavin fish did a good job of covering this pretty extensively at one point, an attorney, uh, Jeffrey Johnson, Jeffrey right. Johnson, uh, sent a, in my opinion, very threatening, and he very, he postured very, he tried to intimidate, as far as I can tell, Gavin Fish. Right. And very condescending. It was, it was a very off-putting letter from what I read. And... In that letter, he actually makes some claims, which I, I was surprised that the attorney made these claims on behalf of uh, Kamian and James Schwartzman. He claims that Kamian and James arrived together at the apartment around 7.30 p.m., between 7 and 7.30 p.m. He also claimed that Kamian and James were both on the phone with Sam Goldberg when Sam broke into the apartment and that they at that James Schwartzman actually instructed Sam to break into the apartment to force his way into the apartment. Now, when I hear that, I think, well, that would make James and Camion material witnesses in the case. But they really they didn't see anything. Well, if they were on the phone with Sam as they claim, I don't know. I'm not an attorney. I, hear, I understand what you're saying, but all they're really getting is Sam's the camera. 
and I don't see, I don't recall anything in the phone calls that he was making when he was talking to the nine one one people that would have me feel that he was talking to anybody else but nine one one. Yeah. If you go go through those calls again, yeah, there's nothing there that suggests he was talking to his uncle and his cousin. Yeah, I'm just going off of, and it's not necessarily something I believe, but this is right. This is a letter from their attorney making these claims that they were on the phone with Sam when he forced his way into the apartment. Well, Sam's present attorney supposedly is very upset that that letter ever got written, including Sam's name. Yeah, I can I can see why actually, um, because they're making claims. I mean, they're making claims and they're not evidence. significant evidence. Yeah. Can you, the way you found out about Ellen's death was you received a call from Sam's father. Correct. Do you mind walking me through that call and how it went? I'll do as best I can. It was a very nonspecific call. I believe my wife really took the call. I didn't take it. And then she called me into it. Uh, is there an ambulance coming? What's going on? No, there's no ambulance coming. There's nothing. We never got our information from the authorities or anybody reputable or even Sam's relatives. We would almost get it from the newspaper or from news. So I, 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 I'd like to walk you more through the call, except... Uh, El- they referred to Ellen as Ellie, and uh, it just was very uh, how should I say non-descriptive. They didn't say, "Oh, Ellen is dead. She suffered many knife wounds. We're trying to uh, find out what happened. Uh, Sam is all upset. We're here at the apartment trying to work with the police." Hmm. I think that would be more of what I would like to have heard. We heard. Nothing like that. Uh, things aren't good. Ellen's not good. Blah, 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 blah. Well, where's the ambulance? There's no ambulance. That's the key thing that I recall from that conversation. I'm saying there's no ambulance. So from that call, you you didn't actually understand that Ellen was dead. This was the night of a snowstorm. Yeah. Sandy and myself, my wife, were in Harrisburg, with no way to get to Philadelphia. I don't know how they were traveling around Philadelphia because there was a snowstorm, a big one. Things were closed. We really didn't know what was happening. We were babes in the woods in the dark. In in this same letter, because this same attorney is saying he represents uh, Richard Goldberg, right? That's his name? Um, I think so, the father, yeah. He is claiming that when Richard called you, you, and I'm going to quote this exactly. He says, Richard called to tearfully tell them of Ellen's death. Cheerfully? Sorry, what? You said cheerfully? Tearfully. Oh, tearfully. I'm sorry. To tearfully tell them of Ellen's death, Joshua Greenberg coldly replied, we thought Sam could help her and then inform Richard that they would not be making the drive from Harrisburg to, to Philadelphia that night, not making the drive. That's understandable in a snowstorm. But do you remember saying anything of that sort? We thought Sam could help her. No. Okay. 
Yeah, we we knew nothing. We knew nothing of what had happened. Interesting. I did not say that. Yeah, I mean, from everything I've seen, it doesn't seem like something you would say. Right? <laughs> you seem like a very loving father. There's photos of you. I didn't know what happened. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, Ellen has been sh- wounded. Is Sam able to help her? How's Sam? I, I didn't know anything. Yeah. I even had an, an episode after Ellen's funeral where we were at my mother-in-law's house. Now, I watched a lot of Perry Mason and uh, Dick Tracy and Sergeant Friday things. The police think when you're, there's a murder and it's not been, you haven't been outside in the street at night and it's in your apartment, that's the closest relative to you or friend or acquaintance is the murderer, usually. And I said that to them, to Sam. They're going to think, because you're Ellen's fiancé, they're going to think you might have done something here, but involved here. I was immediately pounced upon by my wife, by Mrs. Goldberg, and Mr. Goldberg. And all I was trying to do was tell them, based on my experience reading mystery novels and murder novels, what was going to happen. I think he started to cry also. But I was trying to help. Yeah. With that, could you explain why your why your wife pounced on you? I don't want you to speculate on why. Because my wife thought I was being abrupt with Sam. Mm. Remember, at this point, we thought Sam was Ellen's fiance, and we he should be very upset by this whole thing, right? Yeah. He loved her, and he was going to marry her, and you know, live his whole life with her. So he should be upset. You should be feeling pain, emotional pain. That's my guess. Yeah. With, uh, I know communication with Sam eventually dropped off when he, uh, started to pursue his other marriage. He, he got married eventually and communication stopped, but you guys did have communication after her death. There were a number of phone calls with Sam and my wife. Not me. And at the end of every phone call, my wife would say, you know, Sam, we know she didn't commit suicide. And there was silence on the phone. And eventually his life, he married and life went on. Yeah, that was actually going to be my question. Did Sam ever voice anything regarding the death possibly not being a suicide? Did he have any? No, not, not to my knowledge. So he was always sure. He just, I don't believe he said A, B, or C, okay? Yeah. I'm not going to say because I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I know from the 911 call, it seemed like he was sure that it wasn't a murder at that time because he claimed she stabbed herself. That's what, that's the words he used. Well, how'd he come up with that even? Yeah. I mean, if I think about it, like, I mean, like most people, I, I try to put myself in the shoes. And if, if mm-hmm. I've been in a relationship for nine years, and if I came home to my girlfriend bloody with a knife plunged into her chest, I can't imagine my first thought would be she stabbed herself. Right. Or fell on uh, anything with the, it, it's That would not be the wound you'd expect. Yeah. Yeah. And people who want to commit suicide, 
typically want to get away from pain. They want to stop some sort of pain. And the way that Ellen died was far from painless. It was a horrible, horrible, excruciatingly painful death, as far as I can tell from everything I've seen. I can't imagine somebody would want to commit suicide that way. The police says she was testing the wounds. I think if there's 20 wounds and you're testing, it shouldn't take you very long to realize, hey, this is going to hurt. Yeah. Well, and then you add on top of that the fact that some of the wounds didn't have any hemorrhaging or bruises alongside them, indicating that they weren't done while she was alive. And Post, post-mortem, yes. This whole thing is... I hope people are mad. I hope more people get angry about this because Thank you. It, it is a true injustice. And when I and I only heard about this a few weeks ago, right oh, before really? I contacted you. And I pay attention to the news. I pay attention to what's going on in the country. Uh, Ellen is just under two years old, uh, older than me. So mm. I find her in age wise, very relatable, you know, at 27, Mm -hmm. at 27, I didn't have much of life figured out. I just barely started to get my feet under me. And I think Ellen had so much life left to live. And that was just taken from her. Ellen went on a career journey that didn't work out to be a speech pathologist in Philadelphia in a program that was not for her. She chose to leave, which I respected and told her was the right thing to do. She went to Philadelphia and got her master's for teaching. She got a certificate for reading, being a reading specialist. And she did this all with us being in Harrisburg. Mm. Now, we may have supported her financially, but she did it. Yeah. And in fact, when she student taught, she had a, a child, a woman who was disabled and relied, I think she had cystic fibrosis or something like that. And she relied on uh, very high-tech things to communicate, to do things. And it, it was not something she was, you know, the, the two girls went strolling down the, the hall together. She was dealing with a child who had a lot of problems. Yeah. I think uh, the fact that you and Sandra helped or found the psychiatrist for Ellen is interesting. And this is just speculation, but with you guys helping her find the psychiatrist, she clearly, it seems like there was some domestic violence or some abuse somewhere going on. And she didn't want to tell you guys that, which is pretty common with domestic violence. Right. I, I feel like the fact that you guys set up the psychiatrist, even though there's HIPAA laws and a psychiatrist isn't allowed to disclose anything from those therapy sessions with you, mm-hmm. it might have discouraged her from being open about that out of fear that something could get back to you well she used some terms that i've learned through my experience with this whole thing about her fiance being her rock Mm. that's a term that somebody who's being abused will use because they don't think they're worthy and they think they're the problem not the person who's administering the abuse that's what i learned yeah i've uh I've read some books that touch on that and that makes sense to me. Like 
when you see people get in abusive relationships over abusive situations, they often feel like they deserve it in some way. And there's- Marty, can I go back to something else? Yeah, yeah, definitely. The ring on the night table. We believe Ellen had packed up and was leaving. That's why the ring was there. Also, her makeup was organized to be traveling. So we think she was leaving that day. Yeah. So what happened between her at that day on, and with Sam, I have no idea, or anybody else. If they had, if anybody else was there, anybody else could have done this. But I do think she, we do think, believe she was leaving. Her car had been gassed up an hour before. Mm, interesting. In a snowstorm. Yeah. One of the things I found reading through the files is I can't remember the investigator who came and uh, saw her body at the scene, but he he made some comments about rigor mortis, but he wasn't very detailed with it. And that's important because where rigor mortis is setting in helps determine at what time the death happened. So as far right. as I can tell, the timeline for her death hasn't really been. It's, 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 it's conjecture to some degree. Yeah. The Philadelphia Medical Examiner's Office has no medical examiners at this moment, I believe. The three that were there have left. They hired another woman. She has left, I believe. Not a good situation. Yeah, and it is normal in, in cases of death that are suspicious for the person closest to the deceased to be a suspect. It doesn't mean that they're guilty of anything. Right. Well, you got to start somewhere. But you would you at least investigate. But in this case, it seems like not only was Sam not investigated for any possible connection, but his statements to the police were used to substantiate that ruling of suicide, which is baffling to me. It it makes no sense. Yeah. So I hear you. Ellen's life was taken at twenty seven. She didn't get to pursue all of her dreams. She didn't get to pursue, she didn't get to have, I don't know if she wanted kids. Can you, I'd like to give you some time to talk about what Ellen wanted with her life. What were her dreams? Who was she? I'd like people to get to know who she was. Ellen grew up with a, in a home with two parents who cared for her and cared for each other. I believe Ellen wanted a marriage like that. Ellen had learned certain things that we may think are superficial, like cooking properly and preparing properly and entertaining properly, but she learned all that herself so that she someday could be that type of a mother and wife. I really can't say much more than that. Yeah. She wanted that life. She was. She thought she was in love. She thought this guy was going to be her her husband forever and they would just go through life with with bumps but make it through i my wife and i sandy have been married for 44 years and we went out two years before that and if you know anything about things like this couples don't last when they lose a sibling yeah i'm sorry i don't give you longer answers i apologize no you're fine 
looking at photos of Ellen, she seemed like a very happy person. I mean, I know you can't tell from photos, but always had a smile on her face and looked very happy in pictures with you and with Sandra. She looked like a genuinely happy person. But there was some changes in her demeanor at some point. Around when did that happen? I'm not quite sure. I would say six to eight months before she was found dead. When did uh, Sam and Ellen get engaged? I can't. I don't. I don't know the answer exactly. Okay. They went out for a couple of years before the engagement, okay. and she was so happy. There's a picture of her in Pebble Beach, Carmel Bay, with a holding up the ring and you know being show, like a little girl who's engaged. That's what Ellen was. They were together for a total of three years. Is that right? Uh, roughly? I, I, I would say about that. Okay. I'm not really, my wife is better on those things. I'm sorry she can't join us. Okay. Obviously, this is something that has taken up your life and given you a cause to pursue, but what would you be doing right now? Obviously, you'd be, had this not happened, you'd be spending time with your daughter, potentially grandkids. Oh, if my shoe's alive? Yeah. Yeah. I'd be a grandfather, hopefully, by now. Yeah. She was your only child, right? Yes. Even though you say Ellen was a girl, she was a girl. Yeah. But Ellen was a good softball player. She was into athletics. She and I used to go to giant football games together. We did a lot of things together. We did we went to a Ravens game uh, where, I was, where I had a little pouch for my... Yeah, some my uh, uh, binoculars, and they say you can't go into that. So she took it out of my hand, and she held it. And the guy said, "Oh yeah, now you can go in," because she was holding it, not up me. We did a lot of things, you know, girl things and boy things, and we had fights. We didn't always agree, but Ellen was not just a pretty girl. Yeah, yeah, she was a person with with hopes and dreams. Yes. And she was making them come true to her best if she could. She wasn't just sitting there saying, oh, I want this to happen. She wasn't complaining. She never really complained about this whole thing. Yeah. She wanted to change, but she never said why. She never showed us the bruises on her body. Never said, Daddy, I'm hurting. Nothing like that. I'm sure there's some embarrassment. Like when, I think when you, especially in your, late twenties, I'm thinking of my own perspective. Like when you're in your twenties and even thirties, like you're, I I've had good parents. My parents are very good parents and I wanted to like make them proud, but I've made plenty of mistakes in my life and I've had to like backtrack on things that I thought were going mm -hmm, well. And mm -hmm. there's a sense of shame or embarrassment with that off. That's part of abuse. Yeah. Shame and embarrassment. Yeah. She didn't want to tell us she made a mistake. I I don't know. I'm not. I never took enough psychology or psychiatry courses to really know, but I'm just guessing based yeah. on what you're saying and what happened. All of the court cases are in Pennsylvania. A lot of them in Philadelphia, and you live in Harrisburg, which is 45 minutes minutes from Philadelphia. So you're really close. I know 45 minutes isn't tremendously close, but it's pretty close to where everything happened. 
Do you feel trapped? I mean, you can't really leave the state and go too far because you never know if you're going to have to appear. No, no. Actually, you're talking to me. I'm in Florida. Oh, you're in Florida right now? Okay. No, we're not sure. Look, we have a full life. Yeah. Thank goodness. Part of our life, unfortunately, is this investigation and this whole thing, this, this tragedy. But we have a full life together. I've retired. Sandy retired. And we are in Florida right now. Yeah. And having better weather than they're having in Harrisburg. Yeah. But we do go back to Harrisburg. Who do you feel like has been the most helpful in everything? I mean, obviously, you have a very good attorney who seems very supportive, the, but who all? The attorney, Pedroza and his team. Yeah. He's always been there. I can call him anytime I want. He answers my questions. He doesn't make me feel stupid. And he's there for us. And it seems like you have a pretty good impression of the media from what I've seen in your prior interviews. You feel like they've done right by you for the most part. I would, I, I, this is going to sound silly. I almost would like to be challenged more. Hmm. Don't take me for that. I don't lie. Challenge me. Yeah. Challenge me on the evidence. What am I doing? Am I wrong? Did Ellen really commit suicide? And these people who won't let me see evidence and things and, and fight and lie and don't tell the truth to me. No one challenges me. You know, I really feel, like I said before to you, Artie, I feel bad for the fact that people's elected officials have not come through. That I had a daughter who was dead, but also had abuses on her, wounds on her that were consistent with abuse. And no one has done a damn thing about it. Somebody else, this could happen to somebody else, theoretically. Yeah. All right. I'm sure it has happened to other people, too. Um, it seems like it has. Not the exact scenario, but... You know, I understand what you're saying. I'll be honest. When I first started really digging into this, I tried to be very skeptical of your position. You know, you're a father. Right. People do commit suicide, and that is a very right. hard pill to swallow for a parent, you know, right. to accept that. Mm -hmm. And I, I looked at it from the angle of like, well, parents could be in denial. They could be just not wanting to accept reality that it was a suicide. But even just scratching the surface a little bit, it was impossible to maintain that position. It, it just, it's not even possible. Everything in this case is so blatantly not suicide. It, it, I just, there's no part of me after looking at everything that could believe that this was suicide. I've also tried to maintain a very professional demeanor. I haven't gotten up on any tables and screamed and, you know, act like a, a moron. I've tried to do this according to what I would say is the right way to do it with evidence. I haven't called people names or anything. I try and be careful. I mean, you mentioned about not using names. We've been very careful about that. We don't want to hurt anybody that might not need to be hurt. We don't want to do that. That's not what this is about. This is about justice for Ellen. Yeah. I think there is definitely corruption involved here. I, I think that's, obvious um and it started from the very beginning the police 
they corrupted the investigation. The attorney general has not conducted himself properly. And it's an election year. There could potentially be a new attorney general. Have you considered talking to other people running for attorney general and having them no. commit to no. opening this up? No. The only, the only one who might is there's a new mayor in Philadelphia, and he could open it up. I get that, but I'm a little concerned there because... Part of the political field. Yeah, I mean, it's part of the political field and attorney general of the state is a much higher position than a mayor. I, I hear you, but right now we're going to go to the Supreme Court in Pennsylvania. And I have other things that I haven't mentioned that I'm not going to mention going on. And we're, we're going to court against the medical examiners for abuse of their office and trying to cover up a homicide. All three, Emery, Osborne, and uh, what's the other, the head was, what was his name? I forget. I don't know. I hope you're successful. I truly do. Thank you. Thank you. Aside from a murder being covered up, there, to my mind, there is blatant corruption that should be exposed. And I hope that's what happens here. I hope you get justice for Ellen, and I hope there's a domino effect of everyone that was involved in this cover-up being exposed. I don't know who. I don't know who is involved. It's hard for me to. I mean, there's a lot of potential names there, but. It, it casts so much, as American citizens, we have to have faith in our, in the branches of government, and the judicial is one branch of government, and that branch of government has completely failed you guys, and it's disgusting to see. It's horrible to see that that is the reality. You've been dealing with this for 13 years. That's an absurd amount of time to have a murder investigated yeah what can people do people that hear this is there anything people can do to help i know you have the petition on change.org is that the most people can do or well um they can write uh to the authorities in philadelphia uh we are getting Legal legal assistance is very expensive. We do have a, a a legal thing to raise some money to help with that, and that's about it. But just keep pounding on the authorities, send them letters, call them up, make them uncomfortable, make them review the case, open the case, tell the truth. You you mentioned uh, getting a little help, uh, where people can donate to help, but. My understanding is you've put about a half a million of your own money into pursuing justice. Is that right? That's a very good understanding. It kind of makes me wonder. I'm happy you've had the means to do that, but what if you didn't? Then no one would It'd know. Be over. That's what they want. Yeah. Me to die or run out of money. Yeah. Well, Josh, I, I really appreciate you talking to me today. No, no, no. I appreciate you guys. The media has kept us alive, kept the Justice for Ellen movement going. If it wasn't for the media, we'd be nowhere.
absolutely nowhere. They would have won. Yeah. The lying and cheating would have won. Yeah. I hope. Thank you. I hope you get justice. I hope this gets exposed. If if you do fail at the uh, Supreme Court of Pennsylvania, it, I don't know. I, that might be it. I believe you can go to the Supreme Court of the United States at that point, but there's. I don't know. Yeah. I haven't gotten that far. Well, I hope more people follow this and I hope more people know the reality of this after this conversation. Uh, before we end the recording, is there anything else you want to share and maybe direct people to the. No, I, I, all I can say is, we, is my wife and I truly appreciate the help the media has given us and keeping us alive. And we're going to do everything we can. It started, you know, I, I, I'm, sometimes I'm not the smartest guy in the world. It started out just Justice for Ellen, but there are other people now who've, who have gone through similar th types of trials and tribulations and incidents. And we hope this helps them. Yeah. Well, Josh, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Thoughtfully Mindless. If you're enjoying the podcast and you feel like I deserve it, a five-star review on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast streaming platform goes a long way in helping the podcast grow. You can connect with me on X or Twitter at TMConvos, and you can also find me on Instagram at ThoughtfullyMindless. Another way you can support the show is by going to FractalZoo.net and making a purchase of a t-shirt or clothing where I have unique designs. I sincerely appreciate the time and attention you've given me, and I look forward to producing more content for you. That's it for this episode. Until next time, stay thoughtfully mindless.